Good morning, church. I hope you're all doing well today. Uh, Caitlin and I are out of town this week, and I'm filming this in Montana at her grandparents' place where we've been spending time with her family and, and her grandparents for the past week, and we'll be here for the next couple of days as well. But as, as you all know, or most of you know, the past month, we've been having a series of conversations about church leadership. We've been meeting at 9.30 a.m. before service to just open up scripture together and look at what does scripture say about the leadership of the church. And the goal this morning is to bring these conversations to the whole church. Uh, and so uh, my hope in, in the next little bit with this video is to kind of just do a recap of these conversations that we've been having. Uh, and then after this, uh, others will take a moment to kind of share what is going to come next in this process uh, over the next month. And so I'm, I'm just going to share very quickly and briefly, and, and it may be a bit of a fire hose because I'm going to share a lot. Uh, but I just want to recap a lot of what we've talked about over the last few weeks. And so the past three weeks, we've each week kind of covered a different theme. The, the first week we talked about the posture of leadership. The second week we talked about the people of leadership. And then the third week we talked about the practice of leadership. And so I'm going to uh, review each of those with you briefly. That first week we talked about the posture of leadership. And as we began this conversation, we remembered and, you know, kind of reflected on the fact that most of the time when we talk about church leadership, we start with the traditional passages that you find in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1 that are often referred to as qualifications for elders and deacons and so on and so forth. And those are good places to look and we will look there. But that first week we said this is the wrong place to begin our conversation because if we are followers of Jesus, we need to begin with what Jesus said about leadership. And so that's where we began in Mark chapter 10. There's a place where Jesus begins to teach on leadership. And he looked around the culture of his day, the Gentiles, and, and he described it this way. He said, you know, those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, this is what Jesus says when he talks about leadership. Not lording it over one another like the Gentiles, but serving. This is the posture of leadership among God's people, a, a posture of service. It's, leadership is not about power. It's not about position. It's not about authority. It's about serving one another. And so these are the kinds of people that we are looking for uh, in the coming weeks as we begin to name those among us who, who we want to call into the space of leadership. Who are the ones who are serving well? These are the kinds of leaders. And so that first week, we started here with what Jesus has taught, but we also looked at some other things that Jesus did. If we flipped forward a book over to Luke chapter 10, and we saw a story that Jesus told that we often refer to as the Good Samaritan, right? And, and in this story, Jesus critiques some common understandings of leadership because there's this man who gets beaten up and left on the side of the road for dead, and who comes by 
but a couple of leaders, right? The first person that comes by is a priest, right? This is the leader uh, in the temple. And so surely a priest is going to help this man. But instead, the priest crosses by on the other side of the road and keeps going. And then the next person that comes by is a Levite, another leader, someone who cares for and works in the temple as well, a, a, a spiritual leader. And you expect, well, maybe this one is going to stop by and help him, but he doesn't. Instead, he continues on the other side of the road. And the third one to come along is, of all people, a Samaritan. These are not considered leaders or trustworthy or anything. They are people who uh, the Jewish people were not even to associate with. They were traitors. And yet, it's the Samaritan that stops and cares for the man who is on the side of the road. And in telling the story, Jesus is critiquing the leaders of, at that time, Judaism, uh, but, but the kinds of people that he calls into leadership. It's not about power or position. It's about service. Uh, who was the one who was a good neighbor? Well, the Samaritan who cared for the man on the side of the road. So this is the kind of posture that we're looking for in leadership. And Jesus did not only teach about this and tell stories about this. He also demonstrated this. That first week we flipped forward to John chapter 13 and we saw that Jesus himself got down on the ground as he washed his disciples feet. And when he finished doing this, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked and he said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so Jesus teaches about the importance of service. He tells a story about the importance of service, and he demonstrates it as he gets down on his feet and it gets down on the ground and washes his disciples' feet. And so from this place, uh, the lens of what Jesus has taught, then we flipped over to that traditional passage of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we said, if we look at this passage through the lens of what Jesus has taught, we're going to see things a little bit differently. And so I'll read it. 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And so when we look at this passage, 
through the lens of what Jesus has taught, we see that this is not a prescription of qualifications that need to be checked off, but rather a description of qualities of the kind of character a person should have. Uh, a person who aspires to be an overseer, to oversee the church, should be someone who is faithful, someone who is gentle, respectable, hospitable, someone who cares well for their family, uh, someone who is not conceited, right? On and on. These are not intended to be prescriptions of, of qualifications to be checked off, but rather descriptions of qualities of a person's character. And one of the primary ways that we know this is that if they were qualifications to be checked off, well, then Jesus himself would not be qualified to be a leader, an overseer of the church, because Jesus was not married, right? He wasn't faithful to a wife. Uh, and Jesus did not have children. He didn't manage his household well, his children well. And yet, if these are qualities instead of qualifications, well, then we know that Jesus was incredibly faithful to his father and to his people. We know that Jesus cared well for those in his charge, right? And on and on it goes. These are not uh, things that we are looking to check off on a list, but a description of the quality of a person's character. The posture of leadership is service. So this is the first thing that we talked about that first week. And then the next week we came and said, well, let's talk about the people of leadership, the people of leadership. And the first thing that we did was emphasize the reality that it is people in leadership not just a person in leadership, right? And, and we see this in the very person of God, who is known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Throughout scripture, we see that God himself is sort of a community that is working together. The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit fills the Son. The, the, the Father glorifies and, and lifts up the Son. On and on it goes. God is a community, the, the Holy Trinity, working together to create and redeem and restore the world. So God himself is a community, uh, not just an, an individual, uh, but the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see this whenever God creates in the very beginning. Uh, God, it says God created mankind in his own image, and he does not only create a single person. He says in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And so when God creates humanity in his image, he doesn't just create a single person, but he creates a community of people. We see this reiterated in Genesis chapter 2. You know, so far, everything God has made has been said, good, this is good, this is good, up until Genesis 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 18. It says, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable for him. Uh, and so from this point on throughout the story of scripture, we see that God does not just call individuals, but communities of people to work together. When he calls Abram, it's not just Abram, but also his wife, Sarai, who he makes a covenant with both of them and renames them Abraham and Sarah. Whenever God begins to, to deliver the people out of Egypt, he works through Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Uh, and then throughout the rest of the story, God works through prophets and priests and, and kings. Uh, God works through communities of people. 
And this is how it is in church leadership. Uh, the church is not led by an individual person, but a community of leaders. It's a people who lead the church, which is why that we have a, a community of elders who lead our church. Uh, it's not just one person who's in charge, but it's a community of people who oversee and care for the church. So this is the first thing we emphasize as we talked about the people of leadership. But then we so, sort of said, well, who are these people, right? Do we have examples in scripture? And, and we started digging into the weeds to find those examples. Because here's the thing, if we look at the New Testament, there's actually no person named as an elder, uh, except for the author of First Peter and the author of Second and Third John. Each of them describe themselves as an elder, but nowhere else in all of the New Testament do we have anyone who's actually named as being an elder. But that's because a variety of terms are used to describe the leaders of the early church. Paul, uh, one of the words that he uses the most is, is the word uh, diakonios, um, di diakonos, sorry, uh, which is often translated deacon or minister or servant, right? There's that posture of leadership, service, diakonos. Uh, and so this is one that he uses a lot, but one term that he uses perhaps even more is the term co-worker. He's often referring to the people who are working alongside him to lead the church as his co-workers in Christ, uh, laborers in Christ. And so we looked at a number of places where Paul refers to these people uh, throughout the many letters that he wrote. But the one that I want to share with you this morning is Romans chapter 16. This is perhaps the longest list that Paul uses or that Paul has to describe the, the people that he works with. It's, it's actually Romans 16. It's 16 straight verses of names, people who are uh, present in and many of whom are leading the early church. And I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but I want to name a few people. In Romans 16, the very first person that Paul names is a woman named Phoebe. He says, our sister Phoebe is a deacon of the church in Centrea. And he says, I ask that you would receive her in the Lord. Uh, she's very likely the person who delivered the letter of the Romans to the church in Rome. Uh, and also very likely as the one who delivered it was also the one who read it to them. Which means the very first person to ever preach the book of Romans was a woman named Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centrea. This is the first person that Paul names as a leader in the early church. Uh, next in verse 3, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 5, he says, Greet also the church that meets at their house. Priscilla and Aquila, we read about several times throughout the New Testament. We get to meet them in Acts 18, uh, where they have fled from Rome to Corinth, and they meet Paul. And from there, they journey with Paul to Ephesus, where they end up living for a while, and they host a house church there. Uh, and then from there, they eventually head back home to Rome, where Paul is writing to them now here in, in Romans 16. And apparently, they are hosting another church at their house. So Priscilla and Aquila are leaders in the early church. One of the curious things about this is that five out of the seven times that they are mentioned in Scripture, Priscilla is mentioned first 
before her husband, Aquila, which likely means that she was the primary leader of the church that they hosted. She was probably the primary leader in their home. Uh, and Aquila supported her and, and worked with her. And together they led the church, uh, a church in Ephesus and a church in Rome and that met in their home. So these are a couple of people that we see as we keep looking through Romans 16, uh, we see someone named Mary in verse 6 who worked very hard for you, which is the same kind of language Paul uses down in verse 12 to describe Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis, some women who worked very hard in the Lord. Now, he doesn't say exactly what kind of work it is that they're doing, but very likely it's ministry work. This is one of those words, laborers, workers, that Paul uses often to describe leaders in the early church. So Mary, Tryphena, and Tryphosa and Persis are women who worked hard in the Lord, leaders in the early church. Verse 7, we read about Andronicus and Junia. Uh, he says, my fellow Jews who've been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So Andronicus and Junia, another married couple working together in the gospel, and he describes them as apostles. They actually knew Christ before Paul did, and they're out there doing this apostle work, this missionary work of planting churches and, and, and leading people. And so Andronicus and Junia together are leading the church. Uh, a few other places that we look, we, we see um, in verse 9, he talks about someone named Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ. Uh, if we look further down, he greets a few groups of people, uh, verse 14 and 15, Asynchronitis, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, the other brothers and sisters with them. They're likely a house church as well. And then he says, Philogus, Julia, Neresis, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Another house church, probably. Uh, and so they're led by men and women and hosting churches in their homes. And one interesting thing about these names that you can't tell just from reading them on the surface, but historically, these names are uh, mostly Roman names, but many of them are also the common slave names in Rome. And so what we see is we just tip back up and look at all the people that are listed in Romans 16. We see that Paul is working with a mix of Jews and Gentiles, a mix of both people who are slaves and free, and a mix of both men and women. And, and this reminds me very much of what Paul has written elsewhere in the book of Galatians, where he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And so Paul makes this proclamation. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male and female. But he also models this in the leadership of the early church. The church was led by a mix of Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, and men and women. Uh, and so we want to biblically be and follow the example of the early church. So as we are considering people in leadership in these coming days, we are, are not only looking for people with that character, that posture of service, but we're looking for a community of people made up of any race, 
any class and any gender, uh, men and women, uh, people of, of any culture, uh, of any kind, we are, are welcoming all because we want to be just like the early church. Uh, and so this is this, the second week. We, we have this long conversation about this, the people of leadership. Uh, it's a community of people made up of Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female. So this is what we're looking for in the coming weeks as we look for those to lead us. Now, the last week, uh, just a week ago, we talked about the practice of leadership. And we just kind of got a little bit more specific. What is it that these church leaders actually do? So we looked at a few different passages and we saw that there are predominantly uh, two major images that are used in scripture. There, there are probably more, but we focused in on two of them. One of the primary images is the leaders of the church. Uh, well, the church is described as a household. And so the leaders of a church are those who take care of that household, sort of like you would consider mothers and fathers are those who take care of the household. We see ling language like this in that traditional passage of 1 Timothy chapter 3. One of the things says that uh, a leader, an overseer must manage their family well. Uh, see that their children obey them, right? And he says, if anyone does not know how to manage their own family, well, how can they take care of God's church? So taking care of a household, of a family, is one of the things that church leaders do. They take care of those in the church. And then we, we flipped over, we see similar a similar image in Titus chapter 1, another one of those traditional passages in Titus. And in Titus chapter 1, uh, one of the things that is said is that an overseer manages God's household. Manages God's household. Once again, we have this image of, of the church as a household, but that word management is one that's a little bit less focused on the caretaking of the household and more about the administration of the household. So church leaders do not only care for people, but also manage some of the administrative things. You know, we have a building that we meet in, and so we got to make sure that that building is taken care of, that, that you know, if it has to do with mowing the lawn or, or updating some of the features or whatever it is, managing the, the finances of the church, uh, the church leaders help to oversee this. Uh, and so there's the management of the household, the caretaker of the members of the house, but also the management of the household. Uh, and then another place where we see similar kinds of household language is in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we see this. Uh, it says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That word built up is another word that is kind of a picture of construction, uh, like you're building a house, uh, but it can also be, you know, referring to the body of Christ, like building up, sort of like working out or something. Uh, and so once more, there's this image of God's people or a body, they're a household, they're being built up, they're being equipped for service. And, and one of the important things here is that the leaders of the church equip people for service, which means the leaders of the early church aren't necessarily doing all of the work, they're just empowering others to do the work of ministry. 
uh, empowering others to, to do this. And again, that image, if the church is like a household, I think the leaders of the church are like mothers and fathers. You know, if you are a mother and or a father, then you know that you have to care for your children. You have to take care of them and comfort them, make sure that they're fed and, and so on and so forth. But you also know that you have to pay bills for your house and, and make sure that you, you know, mow the lawn and take care of, of the, the resources that you have. Um, but you also want to not just care for your children, but train your children, equip your children so that someday they can grow up and become adults of their own. And that's exactly what the leaders of the church do for the people of the church. So this is one image that we looked at, the, the image of the church as a household. And then the other image that we looked at, we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, where the, Peter writes, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. There's that theme again. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And so this other image that we have is the image of a sheep and a shepherd. So God's people are, are, are God's, the, the leaders of the church are like a mother and father in a household, but they're also like a shepherd in a pasture of sheep. And, and one of the big things to look at here is, yes, you, you do once more have some ideas some pictures of caretaking and, and leading and things like that. But one of the big things that shepherds do is they uh, look over the whole flock, right? They, they kind of keep the big picture in mind. Uh, they, they make sure that the flock is going in the right direction. Uh, that's that term that's used, watching over them, uh, which is actually the, the verb form of the noun that we looked at earlier, overseer, right? Someone who is, who is looking over, uh, who's, who's watching out for, who's kind of getting the, the big picture, has a vision for, hey, where are we headed? Where is this flock going? Make sure we're not running off of a cliff or something, uh, but, but headed in the right direction. So the leaders of God's church must have the big picture in mind as well. So they get down on the ground, they care for people, they deal with some of the practical management uh, and equipping, but they also keep the big picture in mind. And, and look for the, the sort of vision of where the church is headed. And now one of the things that we talked about that last week is that there is, you know, these are images. They're not instructions. Uh, it's an image of a household. It's an image of sheep and a shepherd. They're images, not instructions, which means one of the most important things that elders do is discern. You know, there's not an instruction manual to follow. And so the leaders of the church must come together and discern together. What do we need to do? Where is God leading us? Where are we being directed? Uh, this is one of the primary functions that elders do. They don't do all of the work, and not one of them does all the work, right? It's a community of people. But the elders don't do all of the work, but they do discern what work needs to be done and make sure that people are empowered and equipped to do it. And so this is a big picture of all the things we talked about over the last three weeks. 
The posture of leadership is service. The people of leadership, it's, it's a community of people that includes Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free men and women. And then the practice of leadership. There's care, there's administrative work, there's management, there's equipping, there's overseeing, and there's keeping that big vision in mind, and there's ultimately the work of discernment. So these are a lot of things for you to hold in your mind and in your heart in the coming weeks as we discern together and call forth those who are going to be leading among us. Amen.